Okay. Um, like I mentioned, this is the uh, last lesson in this series on Isaiah. 13 weeks. You've had to endure four weeks of that with me, or you will endure it by the end of it. I appreciate that. The other uh, men have done an excellent job. There is a lot of stuff in Isaiah. Uh, parables of uh, things, uh, prophecies, the rise and fall of kingdoms, uh, the just punishment of some of those kingdoms, the, the chastisement of Israel. Um, you know, Isaiah's willingness to be the servant of God. You know, here I am, Lord, send me. Uh, many things. Ju the woes that came to Judah because they would not follow God or they forgot God. Uh, the prophecies of the Messiah. Uh, Judah's trust uh, should have been in, in the Lord, but it wasn't. Uh, they had periods of okayness, I guess, but uh, they had trouble staying with with God. And that's a, a all these are messages to us. You know, we're to to put our faith and trust in Christ and stay with Him. Uh, the remnant, the saved, the survivors of what would be happening, uh, that God wouldn't forget them. God remembers His faithful. He will not forgive us. Uh, and of course, the history that's in Isaiah. I've touched on it before. I don't want to belate it, but, but it's one of the things that tells the world that this is a perfect history book. There is no lies within this. And if God said it happened, it happened. So history is very important. The prophecies of the Messiah and then all those prophecies coming true, you know, you know, reveals that this is the word of the God. Now, to, to people of the world, they, they don't believe it, even if you hit them on the head with a baseball bat, okay? But to us, it should give us confidence and strength in knowing these things. Today, the last lesson in this series is, is a little more about the history. Okay, I don't want, I never was good at history. <laughs> And I don't want to be boring, but um, uh, a little bit of, you know, knowledge is uh, Assyria doesn't exist today. Okay? Syria does, but not Assyria. Uh, Assyria was a civilization that was in Mesopotamia, basically in Western Asia, uh, between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, which is called the Cradle of Civilization. Uh, civilization. Modern-day Iraq is there. Um the Fertile Crescent is where a lot of this is referred to in history or ancient history, and a lot of the powerful um, empires came out of that area. Assyria, Babylon, uh, Persia, uh, all these centered in that area. Uh, today, the country of Syria was referred to in the Bible, but they were kind of like a band of rebels. They would go in to uh, Israel and and rob them and take some, you know, stuff from them and then take off and, and head back to their land. They weren't an empire. They were just a nuisance more than anything. So this is the area um, in which we're talking about from Israel 
it would be northeast, uh, mostly where the uh, the Assyrian Empire lay. And so we're we're talking uh, basically in Isaiah thirty chapters thirty six and thirty seven. Uh, the uh, Assyrians have been uh, sitting at the door primarily to this area for now for a while. They had already taken the northern kingdom uh, in the Samaria and uh, the previous king or kings, there were two of them actually, of Assyria had done that. And uh, like most kings, uh, Shinnacherib, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, we really don't know, but that's what I'm going to call him. It's easier that way. But uh, he's the king now. And uh, he's flexing his muscles. You know, he wants to, to take over the southern area of this nation of Israel. And uh, he is going to... Uh, uh, you know, come in contact with God. God has been using Assyria, you know, to chastise the nation of Israel. And, uh, and so we're going to, to get into this a little bit this morning and, and talk about it. Um, Before we begin, God's way is to instruct. But when instruction doesn't really take hold with us and those in the past, uh, correction comes. As we as parents know, uh, sometimes just asking, you don't get what you want. Okay, Sometimes it takes a little more. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. I never really looked at that verse close enough, and I never really read Isaiah to the point that I have now. And guess what? It says right there, if God is not chastening you, you're not a son. You're illegitimate. Not that he doesn't care, but if you've left him and you're, you know, he he he, he has to let you go. When you turn around and start back toward him, he'll bring you back in, and then you become a son. And when you're a son, then you get chastened. I know this because I am a son. And my dad did not spare the rod. You know. And I don't know what kind of man I would have become without it. I know what kind of man I became with it. Okay? So, 
This is God's love, that He cares enough to try to get us back on the right track. You know, we can look at the world today and see that there's a lot of problems. And, and we can take it back to the family, the lack of fathers or the lack of fathers' instruction and discipline or the lack of fathers' correct type of discipline. That's a whole other lesson in and of itself. But that's the way God deals with His children. That's the way He taught us to deal with our children. Now, there may be other items, that, depending on children, that work a little differently, but, but you, you eventually have to have some type of discipline. You know, there has to be. Uh, left to their own devices, you end up with somebody like, forgive me, but Putin invading Ukraine. The man doesn't have anybody over him anymore. And so he'll keep going until it becomes harmful to him. And I'm repeating what I heard this morning on the news. So yeah. Okay, now let's get back to our lesson. Okay, real time with Hezekiah and Shennacherib and the messenger uh, of the time, which will be called uh, the Rabshakeh. This is about uh, 700 B.C., like I said, don't, don't ever deal with me on numbers. We're in that area. Um, Shinnachereb has sent his army. If you imagine the Mediterranean Sea is here, and Israel lays here, Judah's about right here in Jerusalem. And, and he has started taking all these towns they call strongholds of Judah. And he comes down the coast and he encounters Egypt. The Egyptians are right over here, so they have people up there. And so they, uh, they give some resistance. And uh, the, uh, the army of Assyria meets them, conquers them, and then they turn left or inland toward Jerusalem. Lachish is one of the Judean cities. And they take uh, the city of Lachish and... Uh, now they're sitting right there outside Jerusalem. Okay? Uh, it's, it's, it's real now for the people of Jerusalem. Uh, they didn't have the news like we have today, so sometimes you didn't really see who was coming until you see them coming. Okay? But anyway, it's, it's all now there in front of them. And so in Isaiah 36, now it came to pass... And you'll see little things like this. It came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah that Shunachareb, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified city of Judah and took them. Now that saved Jerusalem. Um, then the king of Assyria set the Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to, the king, to king Hezekiah at Jerusalem. Why did they say the 14th year of Hezekiah? That's to give it a timeline. Okay, God is still telling us this is real. And so here we are, 2022, in the United States, where we realize that a lot of history has been changed by people who wrote it. And so sometimes you look at some history books and they're not accurate. They, they took on the, the parts and, and things of the, of the writers. But this was written by God. 
Inspired writers of God wrote this, so it's accurate. So you can say, well, when did this happen? It happened in the 14th year of the reign of Hezekiah. And how do you know that the, the Shinnacherib, there, there are other accounts of the these Assyrian, the Babylonian, all these empires. They had, they had chronicles too. And so you can cross-reference these things. This stuff really happened. Okay. So the Rab Shacheth is like a messenger. It, that's not his name. That's his position. So his job is to get Jerusalem just to surrender. Okay? And we can kind of understand this. You know, if, if there's 10 people standing out there with machine guns and you're standing out there with nothing... It's kind of easy to obey. Well, I think I'll give up, you know, rather than die. Okay. But the fact of the matter is, is that uh, the Reb Shaketh goes into a, a lengthy, he says he even stood by the aqueduct. That gives him a place in history. You know, well, we're, so this guy stand. Well, no, but he stood by the aqueduct. There was a place that he was at. And some of the leaders of Hezekiah's court were there. Uh, and it names them. And they stood the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway of the fuller field. And Eliakim, the son of Helkiah, who was over the household, and, and Shebni, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, they came out to him. In other words, part of Hezekiah's court came out to meet the Rabshakeh. And there were other Hebrew, there were other Jewish people of Judah there. And uh, Reb Shekah starts to speak and he stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew. That's important. This was, you know, Reb Shekah was an educated person. He could speak more than one language. And, and, the, and the people of Hezekiah's court, I didn't, I'm not going to read all this, but, but they asked him not to speak in Hebrew. <laughs> well, of course, why? Because they didn't want the people to understand what he was saying. But of course, Rabshakeh didn't listen to Hezekiah's court. And he spoke out in a loud voice in Hebrew and he said, the words of the great king of Assyria, thus says my king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. Now, so he's talking to the people. He's saying, look, don't listen to the king. Don't listen to your king. He's going to get y'all in trouble. And my words are life. I, I, can, I can not kill y'all. Here's what he's saying to them. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. The city will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me and present and come out to me. Every one of you will eat of his own vine and eat from his own fig tree. And every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern until I come Take, and take you away to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine and a land of bread and vineyards. Beware lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver you. Has any, one of, has any one of the gods of the nations delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Okay. So the Rabshaketh is speaking from a very powerful position. Look, we've conquered everybody we have come in contact with. Their gods did not help them. And so you can trust that your God is not going to help you. And all you got to do is give up. 
We'll let you live here for a little while and you'll still get to drink your own wine and drink your own water. And, and when we do take you away, we'll take you to a land that is just as good as this land and you'll get to live there. That was the way the Assyrians conquered and they took over and they didn't leave them in the same place. They wanted to separate them from their lands, but they would still allow them to live, but they would have to pay tribute you know, that was the way that empires were formed. So here we are. Uh, you know, the, the big bad bear is at the door, right? So the threat comes to Hezekiah. Isaiah, uh, it's very important to kind of get this lined up here a little bit. In chapter 37, we switch from chapter 36 over to chapter 37, and the very starting in verse 6, Isaiah is talking. He says, Thus you shall say to your master, thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard. The servants of the king of Assyria, how they blaspheme me, God. Surely I will send a spirit upon him and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Now that was the first words of Isaiah. Isaiah didn't say these directly to Hezekiah. He told them to Hezekiah's staff, we'll say. You know, those four guys that were up there listening to the Rabshake. And so, you know, God's, in a sense, God has already spoken. There's no reason for Hezekiah to be worried. There's no reason for them to be concerned, but unfortunately, Hezekiah is a little bit like me. You know, I'm looking at this big army, and the Lord says, don't worry about them, and I'm still worried, okay? Now, apart from this, God's already started to work. You know, God said it. He told Isaiah, you tell them, don't worry, I'm taking care of this, okay? I'm paraphrasing here to try and get it in, in my view, he said in Shennacherib now is, it has heard that Ethiopia, which is a part, of course, of Egypt, uh, has come out to make war against him. Okay, so now the king of Assyria is, okay, wait a minute, okay. Now this is a little bitty Jerusalem. I'm not, I'm not going to be worried too much about them. Let's worry about Ethiopia, okay. But still the Rabshakeh has already made this offer to Jerusalem. Y'all just turn yourself over and give up and everything will be lovely. Okay? And so Shennacherib decides, okay, I'm going to send a letter. You know, a written word is very important today as it was back then. And here's basically the letter. And Isaiah 37, starting at verse about 10. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you. This is almost a kind of a repeat of what the uh, Rabbi Shechem is saying, Jerusalem, uh, well, this is the first part of uh, the end of Isaiah's thing. It says, Do not let the God whom you trust desert, desert you, deceive you, saying, oh, wait a minute, this is the letter. In other words, uh, Shadokarib saying, Don't let the God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem should not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Look. You have heard that the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, they have utterly destroyed them, and shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom thy fathers 
have destroyed Gaza. And he begins to list all these places where Assyria is conquered. Gaza and Haran and Rezeph and Eden, Teleazar, the kings of Hamath and Arphid and the king of the city of Seraph. That's almost like Seraphim, but Seraphim. Hannah and Abed. Anyway, so Shennacherib sends this letter to Hezekiah. Look, I'm getting tired of this. You're going to fall. Your God's not going to protect you. We've already destroyed these nations, and we're going to take over your city. That's basically what the letter is saying. We have done it, and we're going to do it. And so Hezekiah realizes that he's up against the wall. Now, let's take a, a second here to understand. Hezekiah had already done some king-like things. He had tried to make a, a pact with Egypt, you know, so that they could kind of stand against Assyria together. You know, uh, they had chariots and horses, and, and of course, Hezekiah, you know, Israel didn't, Judah didn't. And uh, so he was trying to make alliances, and this had been done for years. Solomon did it in, you know, in a massive way. Uh, when David took over all the lands and by force, and then he gave the kingdom to Solomon, Solomon expanded the king of Israel, uh, his lands, by making pacts with other kings, basically a lot of times just marrying their daughters, you know, so that they wouldn't attack him because they were family now which was a wise thing to do uh, if you're running a kingdom on earth. But anyway, so Hezekiah now is, is, is he has no more cards in his deck. Yeah, he's, so he prays. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, and Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And now listen to what Hezekiah, I'm not, judging Hezekiah. Okay, this is just the facts. Hezekiah prayed the Lord saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you, have, you are God, you alone. Of all the kingdoms of earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear me. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Shennacherib, which he has sent to reproach you, the living God. This is 37, 14 through 17. Hezekiah is absolutely right. Shennacherib is, is, is bringing reproach against God, defying the one true and living God. All that's true. But God has already said he's not going to let, you know, Shennacherib, the Assyrian king, in. He's already made that statement through Isaiah a few verses earlier. But Hezekiah is still worried. I would be worried. He's just, he's just a man. He's worried. And so he says this to, in the prayer. Truly, Lord, the king of Assyria has laid waste all the nations and their lands, and they have cast those gods into fire. For they were not gods, but they were the works of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. Now, therefore, O Lord God, save us from the hand all these kingdoms of earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. In other words, Lord, if you save us, everybody's going to know you're the true and living God. Absolutely. Have we heard words like this before from a man of God? Yes, we have. 
Moses. Yeah. Moses told the Lord, aren't the Egyptians just going, if you, if you destroy your children out here in the desert, Lord, are not the Egyptians just going to say you brought them out here to kill them, that you're not really a great God? You delivered them from Egypt only to let them die in the wilderness. Now, God can do anything He wants, right? And He wasn't going to allow that to happen. But Moses was kind of praying to God, God, take care of your people because what will the world think if you allow them to die? God's never going to let His people die. But still, Moses was pleading to that side of God, and, and Hezekiah is doing it as well. Don't, don't let your people die. You are the true and living God, and these are your people, so save them. And of course, this appeal to God is, is not falling on deaf ears. You know, we, we and, and Edward mentioned it this morning, our God is a jealous God. Now, it's not the kind of, and, and Edward explained it very, very well. I have written down there, the, the type of jealousy that's with our God is not the kind of jealousy that, that we have. It's a jealousy that I love you. I don't want these other things, these other gods with a little g, come into your life because they'll, they'll kill you. They'll destroy you. God loves us. So He is jealous. He just wants what's best for us. You know, He owns us. But it's a, it's a mutual, you know, togetherness. We can turn and walk away from, from a, a loving and giving God. He doesn't hold us, you know, on chains. And many times God is just waiting for us to turn to Him for help, even at the last hour. And that's where Hezekiah is, right? Hezekiah is at the last hour. In chapter 37, starting in verse 21, I mean Hezekiah, and Isaiah says, The son of Amos sent Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me, Let's never forget the power of prayer, okay? Never forget the power of prayer. It's within your hands always to pray. And here's Hezekiah. Last minute, his prayer goes up before God. And it, Isaiah tells him, he says, Because you have prayed to me against Shennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word of the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed to you, scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. See, the power of God's children is always with God. And they always have it. And they always will have it if you're truly the children of God. They didn't have anything to worry about. But when... The king of Assyria is marching his army across everything and devouring it up. You know, you tend your faith teams to wane. And so God goes on through Isaiah and says, Whom you reproach and blasphemed, against whom you have raised your voice 
and lifted your eyes up on high against the Holy One of Israel. By your servants you have reproached the Lord and said, by the multitude, and this he's talking about Shinnacherib now. You know, by the multitude of your chariots you say that you are you have come up in the height of the mountains. To the limits of Lebanon, I will cut down its tall cedars and I in choice cypress trees. I will enter into the farthest heights to its fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk water, and with the soles of my feet I have dried up all the brooks of defense. Now this is Isaiah talking about what Shinnacherib has said about himself. Okay? You got to keep up with all this because it kind of gets confusing. But anyway, Shinnacherib has been saying, look, I am the man. I have devoured everything. I have taken over everything. You will not stop me. I've got chariots that just run over you. And now, God shows up. Okay? God, I'll just skip on to the one, I call it the one day prophecy. In verse 33, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow here, nor come before it with a shield. I will build or build a ledge mount against it. The way he came, by the, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into the city by the Lord, for I will defend the city to all it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. God's saying, look, if for no other reason because of King David, he will not set foot in Jerusalem. Powerful words, but not near as powerful the action. The very next day, 185,000 Assyrians died, just like that outside the gates of Jerusalem. Guess what they did? They went home, as anybody else would have. The, the God that was protecting Jerusalem was the same God that was allowing Shinnacherib to win those battles. But Shinnacherib didn't know that, or he had forgotten it. The same God that made the world still controlled the world. Judah had not been obedient, but because of Hezekiah's prayer, God gave them more time to repent. It's very important for us to realize even today that the power of prayer is with us and we can always turn to God and He will keep His Word. He will save us. I'm going to end in, with this statement or this. I'm always impressed by Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And uh, we can always look to this and realize when they stood before King Nebuchadnezzar and he was wanting them, he loved them, he just wanted them to bow down to that great big statue and everything. And they told him, they said, our God in whom we serve is able to deliver us. He was going, they knew they were going to get thrown into the fiery furnace. They knew it. And our God is able to deliver us. But even if He chooses not to deliver us, I'm paraphrasing it out here, let it be known to you, O King, that we're not going to worship that image. 
do to us what you will. God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to that image. 